We've seen unprecedented speed. A highly significant moment. Researchers and scientists are moving at record speed. And this is completely unprecedented to see the scale of response. A COVID-19 vaccine. It's the most sought-after thing in medicine right now. Maybe the most sought-after thing in the world. Public health officials have been telling us life isn't going to feel normal until we've got a vaccine. But Dr. Anthony Fauci, the nation's top infectious disease expert, explained in March that even though teams are starting clinical trials for vaccines at record speed, this is still going to take a while. It would take then about a year to year and a half to be fully confident that we would have a vaccine that would be able to protect the American people. A year to a year and a half. And that's the hopeful end of the spectrum. Usually, developing a vaccine takes years. Think 10 to 15 years. So today we're going to explain why this process takes so long. Then we're going to explain how this process is getting sped up in the age of COVID-19. To answer these questions, we talked to some of the research teams working day and night to develop a COVID-19 vaccine. That's coming up on the new Skim This. Like we said last week, there's a lot going on in the world right now. In this current climate, we feel like the best way to help you cut through the noise is to add context and clarity to the week's news, and also make sure we're answering the questions that are on your mind. So that's what we're gonna do for you every Friday, starting today. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by The Great, only on Hulu. In many places around the U.S., it's still TBD on when quarantines or social distancing can end. And even if a few of us can start going back to work soon, we're increasingly hearing from politicians and scientists that if we want things to go back to normal, we're going to need a vaccine. But creating a vaccine is easier said than done. In the fight against COVID-19, we've seen car companies and distilleries change up production to start churning out ventilators and hand sanitizer. So why is the vaccine part taking so long? Turns out, vaccine researchers are scrambling right now. We know this because we talked to some of them. Globally, there are about 100 different teams all working toward the same goal. But they're all going about it differently. See, each COVID-19 virus particle is known for having these distinctive spikes. They help COVID-19 attach itself to receptors on your cells. Those spikes are like burrs that get stuck in a dog's fur. They're how COVID-19 latches onto us and gets us sick. So researchers are looking to block the spike in order to block the way the virus attacks human cells. We're all trying to block the, the spike, but we all do it in different manners. That's Maria Elena Botazzi. She's the co-director of the Texas Children's Hospital Center for Vaccine Development. And she's also working on a COVID-19 vaccine in conjunction with the Texas Children's Hospital and Baylor University in Houston. Some people develop a whole live virus because it has the entire spike. Other people want to target the entire full-length spike. Other people want to target just a piece of the spike. And we are one of those that target a piece of the spike. Her team had actually worked on developing a vaccine for a different coronavirus from a few years ago, called SARS. Her lab got money from the U.S. government to work on a SARS vaccine. And they got pretty far, until the funding dried up and the government decided SARS wasn't a priority. 
But Batazi and her colleagues didn't throw away their work. In the back of our minds, knew that there's always the potential that we could have another outbreak. And so what we did is that we asked our institutions to allow us to use some internal funds to make sure that we kept it, um, what we call, we kept it alive. So since 2016, we've pretty much had a vaccine in our, in our repository, in our freezer. Talk about some valuable leftovers. To be clear, SARS and COVID-19 are different types of coronaviruses. At the cellular level, their protein spikes are 80% similar, but they're not the same. But Batazi's optimistic that the freezer vaccine could be useful. So it is to the point where it's ready, shovel ready, to be evaluated as a SARS vaccine to be used against the COVID-19 virus. When it comes to the hunt for a vaccine, Botazi's research is on one end of the spectrum. It already existed for one thing and could maybe help out with COVID-19. Other teams aren't touching the leftovers. They're building vaccines from scratch and using technologies that have never been approved before. But regardless of the technology behind these vaccines, they all have to go through a long process involving clinical trials. It's the reason all of these potential vaccines being worked on right now aren't available yet. See, the three phases of clinical development are kind of like an obstacle course. Hundreds of hopefuls are going to give it their best shot. I will be. I will be. I'm going to be the first. The first. American. Ninja. Warrior. Okay, okay. In all seriousness, there are three long phases of clinical testing. And then the vaccine has to get approved by the FDA. It's tough to do, but here's a quick skim of that grueling process. Before even getting to phase one, potential vaccines are usually tested on animals. For example, a vaccine being worked on at Oxford University in the UK was recently given to rhesus monkeys. Those monkeys were then exposed to high doses of COVID-19 and didn't get sick. Typically, once the preclinical research is over, it's time for phase one. Phase one is when the first people start receiving the trial vaccine. This phase is usually limited to a really small group of healthy people. So if the vaccine isn't perfectly safe, it doesn't cause widespread harm. Here was Dr. Fauci describing a phase one COVID-19 trial that started in March. It's a trial of 45 normal individuals between the ages of 18 and 55. The trial is taking place in Seattle. There will be two uh, injections, one at zero day, first one, then 28 days, there will be three separate doses, and the individuals will be followed for one year. Yeah, one year, just for phase one. Other phase one trials are shorter, but they usually still take months. Though you might have seen the news this week that the trial Dr. Fauci was talking about, run by the biotech company Moderna, just got the okay to start phase two. Here's how the Mayo Clinic breaks down that phase, with some soothing spa music in the background. In phase two clinical trials, researchers ask, is what I'm studying effective for patients with this health condition? Are there any side effects? How does it compare to a placebo? Phase two trials are usually done with a medium-sized group of volunteers. The studies can last for several months to years. Yeah. 
possibly years for phase two. Are you adding this up? This ain't happening overnight. And only if a drug gets by these two phases does it go to phase three. That's when possibly thousands of volunteers sign up for the clinical trial. In this phase, researchers try to identify side effects that might only emerge when lots of people are getting the same vaccines and are monitored over a longer period of time. Depending on how phase three goes, then it's time to apply for regulatory approval like from the FDA, so the vaccine can finally hit the market for the general public. So it's an obstacle course, a very long one. Despite the fact that there are 100 vaccine teams working on a COVID-19 vaccine now, Botazi in Houston says it's safe to say most won't cross the finish line. It may sound to you large, but actually it's not because vaccines are very complex to develop and design and the risk of failure is pretty high. All of that might help to explain why developing a vaccine usually takes 10 to 15 years on average, not to mention usually billions of dollars. Batazi says the fastest vaccine ever created took four years to research and develop. So when officials like Dr. Fauci say we could maybe have a vaccine in 12 to 18 months, they're being really optimistic. But some researchers on the front lines of developing a COVID-19 vaccine say this process really is being accelerated like never before. My name is Roderick Slavchev. Now that's a pronunciation. So it usually comes across as Slavkev. Slavchev is a professor at the School of Pharmacy at the University of Waterloo in Canada. And along with two colleagues, he's working on a COVID-19 vaccine too. Honestly, the reason why we did it is because our labs closed down and my colleagues and I realized we could be part of the solution here. Why are we sitting here doing nothing? Slavchev pointed out that his lab is basically working 24-7 on this. It's a high-stress, high-pressure scenario that's happening, but it has to be done. It also helps that the whole world is focused on a single problem right now. Government grant money is flooding into scientific research. That money helps scientists plot out the different parts of vaccine development in advance. All of this is being kind of expedited on a partnership level. Like, I'm already talking to people on the manufacturing side. Um, we already have our, you know, our preclinical lined up. We already are, are working on the expedited clinical pieces. You know, where is this going to be held? A lot of this is already being arranged, which normally doesn't happen until sort of further down the line. The third thing that's helping speed things up is that there's a ton of cooperation in the medical community right now. After the virus was discovered, Chinese scientists were quick to share the genetic sequence of COVID-19 with the world. That allowed researchers to immediately get to work on vaccines. And Batazi says, as clinical trials get started, sharing results is going to be just as important, if not more important, if we want this process to keep going quickly. I hope that I can learn of what all these others that are already in the clinic, because since I'm going to get into the clinic maybe six months later, I don't want to redo the same thing they did and fail. Might as well know already what they did. And if it worked, maybe I actually can design it better to work even better. Or if it didn't work, that I just actually don't go through that same process, right? Dr. Rinka Boss is a principal scientist at Janssen Pharmaceutical Companies of Johnson & Johnson in the Netherlands. Her team is also working on the development of a COVID-19 vaccine. And she echoes the fact that camaraderie among research teams has been incredibly helpful. It's so different than, than a few years ago, even. 
uh, within a few days, weeks after the sequence of the virus was known, uh, people started to work on it, started to, to publish everything they know, the, the crystal structure of the, of the spike protein in the virus, um, models, essays, a lot of it is shared now. So that's really good. Dr. Boss also points out that her company is speeding up the process in other ways, too. We are already preparing for large-scale production to have a lot of doses available uh, if it turns out the vaccine does work. Meaning they're already figuring out how to produce this vaccine so a lot of people can get it. But all that extra money and work might be for nothing if the vaccine candidate doesn't make it through the trial. Front-loading money like that is definitely not a normal thing. The company decided uh, to do this and to really invest in this. It wouldn't be possible to do this for every vaccine. So between working long hours, lots of new money putting vaccine researchers in the driver's seat, and scientific transparency, the COVID-19 vaccine might just get discovered faster than any previous vaccine. And the world is counting on it. But when the stakes are this high, it's hard not to get impatient and to want the process to go even faster. You might have seen headlines this week that some researchers are pushing for human challenge trials. Usually, in clinical trials, you have to wait for volunteers to catch the virus to see if the vaccine they got actually works. In human challenge trials, volunteers catch the virus on purpose to speed up the process. There's a lot of ethical concerns around this, too, mainly because we still don't know enough about COVID-19 to know whether we can prevent someone who catches the virus from dying. There's also a historical precedent that gives researchers pause. A few years ago in the Philippines, a vaccine for the dengue fever was rushed out and given to hundreds of thousands of kids. This was after reports that doctors were concerned the vaccine actually put many children at a higher risk of getting sick. The Philippine government claimed that 130 children who were vaccinated died, which led to both criminal investigations and national panic. That scandal haunts the medical community to this day. Another reason it's important to be cautious has to do with something called a cytokine storm. It's the kind of storm you don't want to be caught in. Cytokines are part of your body's immune system response. When your body detects an infection, cytokines spread out to raise the alarm, causing inflammation or fevers that help your body fight the disease. But too many cytokines creates a cytokine storm, and it can overwhelm the immune system or even cause organ failure. And there's increasing evidence some patients dying from COVID-19 had that exact problem. That's another reason scientists like William Moss, a vaccine expert at Johns Hopkins University, say a slow and steady clinical trial process is so important. The last thing we want is a vaccine that enhances that immune response and, and perhaps increases the risk of a cytokine storm. So th- it's those kind of issues that we need to be really cautious about in terms of moving too quickly in vaccine development and rollout. So what's the skim? Historically, creating a vaccine usually takes about a decade. It's got to go through three long, careful phases in which more and more people volunteer to get tested. But in the rush to develop a vaccine for COVID-19, politicians and scientists, philanthropists and drug companies are racing to speed up that timeline and get a vaccine distributed as fast as possible. 
So far, the results are impressive. The U.S. recently set a record when it took just over two months between researchers getting the full genetic sequence of COVID-19 and the start of a phase one clinical trial in humans. But speeding things up too much is risky, and there are good reasons why clinical trials usually take as long as they do. If we actually had a vaccine by this time next year, that would break the record for the fastest one ever developed. Coming up until now, the conventional wisdom was that, for the most part, kids have been spared from the worst of COVID-19. This week, the story changed. We'll break down how, and then we'll answer one of your questions about COVID-19 after the break. Hey, history buffs, and comedy fans, and drama fans, and, well, TV fans. We're excited to introduce you to a new show you won't want to miss. We're talking about The Great on Hulu, starring Elle Fanning and Nicholas Holt. It's a satirical comedic drama about the rise of Catherine the Great. Watch Catherine transform from an outsider to the longest reigning female ruler in Russian history. All she had to do is kill her husband, beat the church, baffle the military, and get the court on her side. All episodes of The Great are now streaming, only on Hulu. You may have seen some headlines this week about how COVID-19 is affecting children. Up until recently, it was believed that the virus mostly spared kids from getting severely ill. But this week, that belief started to shift because of two medical developments. The first is a new study from the Journal of the American Medical Association, Pediatrics, which finds that children, teens, and young adults are at a greater risk for severe complications from COVID-19 than previously believed. We spoke to the co-author of the study, Dr. Lawrence Kleinman. He's a professor and vice chair of the Department of Pediatrics at Rutgers Robert Wood Johnson Medical School and an attending physician at Bristol Myers Squibb Children's Hospital. This study suggests that most of the children who get sick from the respiratory disease of COVID have pre-existing conditions, but about one in five do not. we find that many of the kids who get very sick need some form of respiratory support, including ventilators. So um, these are really, really sick kids. And uh, it's not fair to say that children are spared the epidemic. And there's also another medical development that's puzzling doctors this week. A mystery illness that's putting otherwise healthy children in the hospital. At least three children now have died in New York State from a rare inflammatory syndrome believed to be related to the coronavirus. It's really starting to bend the previously held perception that children do not get very sick from COVID-19. Health officials are now looking into a mysterious illness that's putting children and young people into hospitals around the United States and Europe. The illness has been reported in approximately 100 children in New York State alone, but it's been reported in other states, too. In at least three of the New York cases, the patients died. The mysterious illness now has a name. As of last night, the CDC is calling it Multisystem Inflammatory Syndrome in Children, or MISC. You may have read that its symptoms resemble those of a different illness that affects children, called Kawasaki disease which creates inflammation in blood vessels. This new illness causes inflammation in important organs and potential heart problems, and symptoms are believed to include fever, skin rash, and vomiting. 
It's unclear at this point whether it's caused by COVID-19, but among the cases in New York City, most of the children who had the syndrome either tested positive for COVID-19 or had antibodies to it, which signals they had it before. We asked Dr. Kleiman about this illness, which he's also looking into. From talking with our colleagues anecdotally, we believe that this is a disease for which all children are at risk, not only those with pre-existing conditions. We also asked Dr. Kleinman how parents should respond to this news. In addition to being a pediatrician, he's got a three-year-old of his own, and he reiterated that social distancing needs to continue, and of course, hand-washing. Things like masks in children older than two, certainly masks among folks whom you encounter and for yourself as parents. Dr. Kleinman also points out that it's really important for parents to seek help when they see things that concern them. If your child is sick, if your child has a rash that concerns you, if your child has this little bruising on their hands or toes known as COVID toes, these are all things that you should seek medical consultation for. Doctors are still learning about this illness and figuring out just how many cases there are. Meanwhile, the CDC is now alerting doctors nationwide to keep an eye out for new cases. These updates have been a wake-up call for officials trying to combat the virus. Here was New York Governor Andrew Cuomo over the weekend. We're laboring under the impression that young people were not affected by COVID-19. So we still have a lot to learn about this virus. Translation, a lot more research still needs to be done. And Dr. Kleiman told us researchers are now teaming up with federal health experts to learn more. We're now working with federal officials such as the CDC, as well as with colleagues from across the country to assemble a large group of these cases to study systematically so that we can observe it. The idea is that by working together, doctors can answer more questions about exactly how COVID-19 impacts kids. Before we go, we want to answer one of your questions. We put out a call on Instagram asking what about the COVID-19 pandemic you still need answers on. And we got a ton of responses, so thank you for that. And this week, you asked about why it's taking so long to get your stimulus checks. The IRS actually calls them economic impact payments, and they started going out in the middle of April. Remember, People who made less than $99,000 a year could receive up to $1,200 from the federal government, and another $500 is thrown in for each child under 17 years of age. Well, it's been a month now, and there are still quite a few Americans, like 20 million, who might be asking, did my stimulus check stand me up? So here's what you need to know if you are also waiting. First, keep in mind that not everyone qualifies, like if someone can claim you as a dependent. And if you didn't file taxes for 2018, you likely weren't in the first wave of payments that went out, but the IRS says they will get to you. Second, as far as direct deposit payments go, that's still happening too. But if the IRS doesn't have your bank info, you may be waiting on a paper check in the mail. Know that the IRS is still planning to send out millions of checks over the next couple of months, so it still may be on its way. If you haven't updated your bank info with the IRS yet, we've got some bad news. The deadline to do that was on Wednesday. 
But remember, the best way right now to get a status update is to use the Get My Payment tool on the IRS website, even though, unfortunately, it's had some glitches. And apparently, the IRS sent checks out to people who are deceased. Whoops. The IRS says that, so far, they estimate that 130 million people have received their payments. That's over $200 billion doled out in just the first four weeks. And stay tuned for possibly more. House Dems are currently pushing for another round of checks in their next stimulus bill. So there might be more to come. But there's still a lot that will need to happen before that's a reality. For more on how to manage your money during COVID-19, no matter your situation, head to theskim.com money. And that's all for Skim This. We'll be back in your feed again next Friday. In the meantime, we want to hear your burning questions about the news right now. You ask, we skim. Call and leave us a voicemail at 646-461-6370. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. For more Skim and to sign up for our daily newsletter, head on over to theskim.com. 